Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church in West Des Moines, Iowa. This sermon is part of our mission to bless our neighbors to the glory of God. We hope it blesses you. And I've got a question. So this is going to be a talking time, not a showing time. But I've got a question, not just for the three of you, but for everybody in the room. And I'm interested in different answers to this question. So the three of you are going to have different answers from some of the folks out there. Okay, are you ready for the question? The question is, how do you decide what to do with your time? How do you decide what you're going to do? Ah, you do what your spouse tells you to do. That's one, yeah. Oh, now why do you choose to read? Why is that a way you spend your time? Do you do it because you have to, or because you want to, or because you're out of other things? Okay, so it's a thing you enjoy. Okay. Other folks, how do you decide what to do with your time? The list. The list. The list. So there is a decision that has been made in the past that tells you what to do in the present. All right. Oh, so this sense of responsibility. Yeah, I have to take care of the things that I have some kind of obligation to do. Yeah. Um, now, a couple of you who have answered um, are not currently employed, but um, some of you who are permanently unemployed, retirees, how do you decide what to do with your time? What's that? Still the list, Deb says. Yeah. So the list doesn't go away when you retire. Let that be a warning. Do what you enjoy. Okay. And how do you decide whether you're whether you are doing it because you enjoy it or whether you're doing it because an authority figure in your life told you to do it or whether you're doing it because past you told you to do it or whether you're doing it because of some like abstract sense of responsibility how can you tell whether you have done the right thing with your time so when you look back on like oh i just spent four hours reading was that a good use of my time <laughs> yes he says how do you know? You've, yeah, you've had fun. All right, when you've spent four hours doing the stuff on the list or the stuff that's a responsibility, how can you tell whether you spent your time well? You feel good. Yeah, so checking stuff off the list is like its own little reward. They've studied that, yeah. What about when there's no list? You don't get that little dopamine rush every time you check something off. You've just got the, you've got the spouse or the abstract sense of responsibility that uh, tells you to do these things. How can you tell whether you have spent that time doing the right things? You didn't break anything. You The puppy didn't go to the bathroom in the house, so we didn't, we didn't um, 
overstep some other responsibility while we were doing the things that, that we were doing on the list. Yeah. Your spouse doesn't complain about you, at least to your face. Well, we are going to hear Jesus tell us a story this morning. It's going to sound a lot like Dick, but um, it's actually Jesus talking. Uh, Jesus is going to tell us a story this morning about choices, and choices about how to spend time working, and choices about how to pay people who work for you. And so here's what has just happened in the part of the story you haven't heard. Jesus' disciples just asked him a question about who is the most important person in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says it's not like that. Um, So the kingdom of heaven is not about deciding who is most important, but status in the kingdom of heaven works differently from that, okay? And he says this really interesting thing. He says, the first will be last and the last will be first. So it's like everybody lined up to be most important, And Jesus started at the back of the line instead of the front of the line, okay? So that's what has just happened right before this story that Jesus is going to tell us. This morning's prayer for illumination. God of mercy, you promise never to break your covenant with us. Amid all the changing words of our world, speak your eternal word that does not change. Then may we respond to your gracious promises with faithful and obedient lives through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Scripture reading for this morning is from Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, which is on page 26 in the New Testament in your pew Bibles. Please follow along or read with me as I read. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usually daily wage, he sent them into the vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon, and again about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they had received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give the last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our sermon series this 
Lent, we'll be reflecting on some issues that matter in Iowa today, kind of thinking broadly about the state that we live in and the life that we share together. And we will be reading some of Jesus' really challenging parables, these stories that are designed to upset our way of thinking about the world as it is and the world as it could be. And so we're going to be wondering, as we read these, what it is the gospel has to say about life right here and right now in this place and time. And so I'm going to tell you about a show-and-tell I didn't show you. There is no slide for this, so Ryan is not asleep at the switch. I made a choice not to show you a combine with a 40-foot wide corn head on it, harvesting 16 rows of grain all at the same time, because I didn't want to talk today just about the mind-blowing size of contemporary agricultural equipment. Instead, I put up on the screen this very lovely kind of old-timey thresher, right? Um, You see these every now and again at at sort of um, nostalgia fairs. But I wanted you to see this one from however long ago this was made so that we can think about how long it has been that agriculture in not just the state of Iowa, but agriculture um, in the uh, North American world in general, how long this has been mechanizing, how long it has been that we've been getting more and more work done with machinery rather than with human labor. Because I want you to notice that there are generations of change here, and that's why uh, one combine that happens to be bigger than uh, the ones that you may have seen growing up, I didn't want that to sort of distract us to just one generation. So in the last 75 or so years, farmland in Iowa has gotten twice as productive. Uh, This is thanks to all kinds of innovations, right? Uh, Particularly uh, genetic innovations in the um, hybrid and then genetically engineered uh, crops. Um, the addition of fertilizer, and, um, and some of this mechanization. Now, that's all great news when it comes to trying to feed a whole world with 7, 8 billion people on it. And at the same time, the average farm in Iowa has gotten 10 times bigger, more or less, in order to support one farm family. And so even without changes in the size of those families or changes in the numbers of of hired laborers that that farm may have, you can do the math there real quick and notice that one worker can produce about 20 times as much food. And again, that's kind of amazing when it comes to the, the question of simply how much food can we produce in order to feed how many people But we also know that that is a heartbreaking piece of math for the small towns that a lot of us know and care about. Because in those small towns, there are fewer families, there is a smaller economic base, and you can see how this plays out 
on just about any Iowa main street. Now, that change is why I wanted to show you generations and not just immediate numbers, because the immediate numbers say that actually unemployment in rural Iowa is very low. I think part of the reason that unemployment in rural Iowa is so low is that people have moved away rather than staying in town to remain counted in those unemployment numbers. And the people who do stay in town often work elsewhere. Uh, they work elsewhere to keep the farm afloat or they work elsewhere because the farm is no longer afloat. But as they're working elsewhere, they shop closer to work than to home. They have less time to volunteer in the community and the community hollows out. And we see this hollowing out similarly, honestly, in East and South Des Moines, in Old West Des Moines, even in some suburban corporate offices these days, as jobs move and the economic base of so many communities changes. Now, I'm thinking about mechanization today because I am imagining how the landowner in Jesus' parable today would have responded to a mechanical thresher like this or a 40-foot-wide combine harvester. I'm thinking about landowners in general and then this particular landowner that Jesus tells the parable about today. This landowner, he goes out all day to hire labor for his vineyard, and he goes out even an hour before sunset and asks the people standing at the marketplace, why aren't you working right now? And their answer is so telling. They say, it's because no one has hired us. Now, why is that? I don't know. I don't know what happened for the 11 preceding hours in the lives of these people, but I know that there they are at 5 o'clock reporting that no one has hired them, which, of course, is what it means when someone says, why are you unemployed? It is because I have not been hired. Now, vineyards, you can't use this thresher on. Um, we're talking about different crops. Grapes are especially uh, labor-intensive, but that means that there's an economic incentive for this landowner to hire as few workers as he can possibly get away with. And just think how many fewer workers he would have needed if he could have harvested these grapes with a machine instead. But Jesus imagines that this vineyard owner has different priorities still. He's, this particular vineyard owner is not trying to minimize the number of people he hires. In fact, we figure out that he's been going back and back to the marketplace to hire more workers because what he wants is to hire more workers. And everybody he hires, he ends up paying a full day's wage. Now, at the level of basic economics, that is not responsible. At the level of basic economics, that is not good management. If this vineyard owner has investors who are partners with him in this, in this venture, he's actually being irresponsible to them, so long as we assume that the bottom line is to extract as much revenue, as much profit as he can from his vineyard. But that decision that he makes 
that this vineyard owner, this hypothetical parabolic vineyard owner makes, that decision actually reflects a different bottom line, doesn't it? It reflects that he's making a different set of decisions for a different set of reasons. He's got a different fundamental purpose in line, in mind when he thinks about his vineyard and his employment choices. This vineyard owner is providing his community with a living income and providing his community with an opportunity for work. He's providing his community with the ability to make a different set of decisions about how they are going to spend their time. Now, when we talk about money, part of what makes money so interesting to talk about and part of why Jesus spends so much time talking about it is that money is about making choices when the options in front of us are actually quite limited. And so I don't want to stand up here to try to condemn anybody who is doing their best to make decisions about how to use their money or their time. I want to recognize that the options that we have to work with are actually quite limited. And I hope it's clear that as I go on here, I also don't know how to live like this vineyard owner 100% of the time right now. But when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about a world that is filled with God's presence beyond the conventional constraints. He's talking about the world as it could be. Now, a little sidebar here. Um, If you heard this story in Sunday school, at least if you heard this story in Sunday school from the same people I heard it from, uh, you learned to read all of these parables not as being actually about the thing that Jesus is talking about, right? They're all about heaven. They're all about, uh, well, this one in particular, you get to go to heaven no matter when you come to believe in Jesus. You've heard that interpretation of this parable, I'm, I'm guessing. So even the ones who are hired at five o'clock get their full day's wage because God is so generous with salvation. Now that's all true. But that would mean that the offense that we are supposed to take in this parable, the place that this parable is supposed to provoke us, is the idea that Jesus loves newcomers to the faith just as much as he loves me, someone who was baptized when I was five weeks old. So what's the point of believing right now? That's supposed to be the offense I'm supposed to take. And notice what that question, what's the point of believing right now? Notice what that assumes about what the purpose of faith is. And notice what it assumes about our neighbors here in the church. And notice, too, that nowadays in at least modern American culture, it's actually more offensive to imagine that God would ever, under any conditions, not take someone to heaven. And even so, we like to keep score, which is not what love is. So a reading of this parable, like the one that I learned in Sunday school, it's not false, but if that's the only way I can hear it, if all I can hear in what Jesus says is questions about heaven eventually, then the Bible tends to be a little domesticated. It tends to be a little easy to read. And it's almost always true, particularly with parables, that if it doesn't offend you, if it doesn't provoke you, if it doesn't feel like a mismatch with the world as it currently is, then we need to keep reading until we find that 
point. So that's to say I'm not just reading this parable in terms of economics to be contrary, although that may also be true. I'm reading this parable in terms of economics because the Bible cares about how we relate to each other. In fact, the Bible would go so far as to say that our relationships with each other are a direct reflection of our relationship with God. What are the two greatest commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says these are effectively the same commandment. And that is why Jesus cares so much about how we relate to our neighbors. And it's why he talks quite so much about money. Because while not all relationships in life reduce to economics... All economics is fundamentally about our relationship with each other and with the world around us. And so we depend on God to do something that is just pointed at in this parable that we can't do by ourselves. We depend on God to reshape our relationships and to make us ready for this kingdom of heaven this kingdom of heaven that looks like a change from getting for myself what I can possibly get and becomes creating a community where all have what they need. That's a transformation way down at the root of the world. That's what salvation is like. And so I'm going to invite us to just ponder on how we could imagine a community and its economics in terms of relationship. And I'm wondering what that might look like right here in our Iowa neighborhoods and small towns. And in all of that, I wonder how it might be that churches, churches like this one even, could point even a little bit more clearly to the kingdom of heaven. And there is good news out there. There's good news out there in small towns in Iowa where I see towns and neighborhoods that are actually redefining their bottom lines, building stores and and opening businesses that intentionally focus on locally made farm products. I'm looking at Main Street partnerships that are built not around um, retail uh, mercantile uh, sales, but rather experiences, restaurants, breweries, coffee shops, that in buildings that would no longer be viable, except that we are choosing to pay attention back again to those communities. And maybe I even see consumers choosing local neighborhood restaurants when they go out after worship, not because that choice makes the most economic sense, in fact, because that choice doesn't make the most economic sense at the root level, but making that choice because it serves a relationship, not only with those we gather with for lunch, but with those who serve and provide that lunch to us. And there's nothing magic in any of that, but those are everyday choices that come from some different, radically different place. Choices that are rooted in relationships that find their worth in the kingdom of God, that find their worth in Jesus' life among us. 
and those are rooted in relationships that seek to express and share Jesus' life with this world. So may it be. Amen. And now, a moment for mission. Our moment for mission this morning lifts up one great hour of sharing. Every year when we celebrate the great gift of salvation, on Easter Sunday, we take the opportunity to share gifts with our neighbors through the One Great Hour of Sharing special offering. You can participate in One Great Hour of Sharing by using the special envelopes in the back of the pew in front of you anytime during Lent. This offering supports Presbyterian Disaster Assistance, the Presbyterian Hunger Program, and self-development of people. Your gifts make a difference in the lives of farm workers like Lupe Gonzalo. Lupe often had to wake up at four or five o'clock in the morning to travel to a farm where she was handed a bucket and told to fill that bucket as many times as humanly possible during the day. That's your, your job, she said. That's what you're there to do. And when you're doing this work, sometimes you aren't given the time to stop, take a break, to drink some water, or to just gather yourself. While all farm workers are subject to exploitation, women are especially vulnerable. Lupe said, for farm worker women, one of the main things that they have faced is sexual harassment and sexual violence in the workplace, which can be verbal but also physical. The women don't really have an option of speaking out for themselves because often if you do, you run the risk of losing your job. And if you lose that job, you're not able to put food on your family's table. But Lupe's life is better along with thousands of farm workers' lives thanks to the Coalition of Amokali Workers. CIW is a worker-based human rights organization and a partner of the Presbyterian Hunger Program. Lupe said, for us farm workers, the support from Presbyterians across the country has meant the world to us. It has meant that we don't feel like we're alone. Presbyterians have fasted with us. They've marched with us. It has been through collective action that we've been able to demand together a new day for farm workers. It is a new day because we are the church together. We thank you for your gifts to the One Great Hour of Sharing special offering. Thank you for listening. Learn more about our mission at wdmcovenant.org.